Well, I've said morning already, so I'll take that part off my notes. Um, <laughs> right, that's one page gone, two pages gone. Okay, we've got a page left. Um, now, hey, again, thank you for this opportunity. Elders, Calfane, thank you for letting me come here and, and share with a bit about what we've been doing. And more importantly, thank you for the privilege to open up God's Word and, and share that with you guys today. Um, what we're going to talk about today is failure, is a topic I've chosen. More importantly, seeing Jesus clearly through that failure. And that failure isn't final. It's not the end result. More importantly, failure can transform us. By seeing Christ clearly. And what I mean by that is we experience a bit more of God's love and Christ's love for us. And through that we are transformed by it. And that's the angle I'm going to take this morning with that. So if we just, um, I'll just bow our eyes in prayer and commit the service to the Lord and we'll get stuck in. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that we can open your word today. Thank you that we can do it free from persecution, free from any worries and troubles, Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that today as we examine your word, you will open our hearts and our ears, Lord. Make us attentive to your word. Help us to approach it with humility and allow your word to work within us. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this family here today. Amen. Amen. Right. I'm going to the right slide. Yeah, cool. I don't know if anyone's sort of been through the process, and I have a lot of the time, and I thought to myself, Flip, I'm way too far gone for God to see me now. I've backslidden way too far. Um, I've been in a relationship that's not honoring to God. I've been doing some business deals that are probably slightly compromised. I feel like I have way too much baggage, right? Baggage for God to see me or to have a relationship with God or even to pray and to talk to God. I was recently watching a, um, a show, um, The World's Deadliest Prisons or The World's Toughest Prisons, and they were interviewing a gentleman there and they'd said to him, well, the interviewer said to the guy, he said, hey, look, do you think there's any way back for you? I mean, do you, do you think you have a chance to, to live a normal life again outside of this confines of this prison? To which the guy responded to him saying, hey, look, no, this is who I am now. This is my personality. This is what I'm about. There's no ways a judge will ever let me walk free again. Essentially, what this guy was saying to the interviewer was, I'm now defined by my failures that have led me to this. This is now who I am. And so it bids the important question that I want to sort of unpack and answer. Does my failure define who I am? Now, the example given here was quite a, an extreme example. But failure has different levels. And I think if we really think about it, sometimes we allow that failure to define us. And to do what we do. Now, to answer this important question, does my failure define me? What we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at Peter. So we spoke about sort of jail and prison. So what we're going to do is keeping with that whole picture, we're going to put Peter up on the stand. We're going to cross-examine Peter or a certain area of him. I don't have all day, so we'll do a certain part of Peter's life and examine that. Um, and we'll go from there. And we'll be spending our time, as you guys have got in your notes, in John. And then we'll be looking at a bit of Acts at the end as to what happened with Peter. Firstly, context. That works. Who was Peter? Peter was a fisherman by trade. 
Okay? And in those days, the fishermen of those days, it was quite funny when I looked at this, when I, when I started doing my research and I was, oh, he's a fisherman. Now, I consider myself a fisherman, but I look at my hands, I'm by no ways a fisherman compared to what the fishermen were in the ancient days. These boys were rough. They were ready. Finesse was not a, a subtlety, as we'll see in Peter's story as we move through it. They were sort of get there, get the job done. Peter particularly had a very, was a, had a very passionate personality. Right? And we see that all the way through. So passionate was he in John 18, when Jesus was in the garden, the olive garden, Peter pulls out his sword and cuts, cuts off the high priest here. John 20, when Jesus has, we've had, we've had death, we've had the death and we've had the resurrection. So John and Peter are bailing off, they get called, they get running to the tomb. And you get John, so John gets to the tomb, is hit the brakes, woo. I'm going to just have a look and survey before I go in this tomb. What does Peter do? He just bails straight in. Like he's not standing back, he's just straight in there. You know what I mean? He's that, that passion, that personality coming through. Mark 8, we read about Peter rebuking Jesus. Jesus is talking to him, telling him well, what's going to happen. Peter goes a step further and he rebukes Jesus and says, No. <laughs> and when I look at Peter, I think of him, and I think Peter's almost like a, a, how do I say this right? He's a talker thinker. And he thinks, he talks while he's thinking. And then I thought a bit more thinking, and I was like, I'm a 21st century Peter. No finesse. I talk before I think. And I normally head, run head on into things, which it doesn't, so it was quite a, um, a, a, a good sort of sermon to sort of set up and very convicting in certain areas too. But the most important thing that I really want to sort of highlight about Peter is in Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What was happening is Jesus had, Jesus had asked the disciples, Who am I? And some of them said he was Elijah. Some of them said he was Jeremiah. Some of them, can I water please? Some of them said he was one of the prophets. But Peter knew exactly who he was. He says, You are the Son of the living God. Thank you. Thank you. And the reason I want to highlight this point is because what, what this point makes, what, it, what this point tells us about Christ's heart, about God's heart for humanity through the story makes it so much more beautiful. Okay? And just bear with me. We'll, we'll get to my, what I'm, the points I'm trying to make later on. But John 18, we'll open up here. John, first one. John 18, 15 through 17. Simon Peter, and another, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. And the other disciples, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. Are you not one of his disciples? Are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. So some context to what's gone on here and to the, theme, to the theme here is in John 13, Jesus has told Peter that he's going to deny him. He told him, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And now we get to this passage here, and Peter is now forced to decide. Does he give an accurate account of his relationship with Jesus, or does he deny him and, does, and, and say, I've got no relationship with him, I don't know this man. And obviously, as we've just read, he denies him. But something I want to really point out, and sort of before we all get down on Peter, there's two things. I want us to really think of opportunities or, or moments in life that we've had where we've sat at that crossroad 
Do we deny Jesus or relationship with him? Or do we give an account, whether that be through our words or whether it be through our actions, either one? And I think we've all been there, and unfortunately, I've sometimes gone the opposite way. And something else, though, in these times, too, we need to understand who Jesus was to Peter and to the disciples. Jesus was their confidant. He was their mentor. He was their security, right? I mean, these guys were following Jesus around, and Jesus would contradict the Pharisees. He would pull the... um, Sadducees up, he would reprimand them, he'd rebuke them, and all along the disciples were with him, but they've always had Jesus. Now suddenly Jesus is away being questioned, and Peter's alone. He's isolated, and he's vulnerable, because what's going to happen to Jesus? I don't know. And so he gives that response. And I'm not justifying his response, but just to give us a bit of a feeling of what it might have been like, actually. It's easy for us to hear and say, oh, how, do you, how dare you deny so, three strikes, right? He's got, he's done one, he's got one strike already. Move on, John 18, 25 to 26. Let me just turn that off, sorry. As Simon Peter stood, warming himself, he was asked, Are you not one of the disciples? You are not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. Strike two. Verse 26. One of the high priest's servants and relatives of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. At this point, you can imagine Peter going, flip, not the ear. I knew I shouldn't have done that. But the whole thinker-talker thing, dip off with the ear. How am I going to deny this? Didn't I see you with him at the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster began to crow. Peter denied Jesus three times. As was prophesied, he would. Now, I remember, now what you mean? I was thinking now when I was doing this thing, I was thinking, oh, what was he feeling in that moment? And this illustration came to me. I remember growing up, and it wasn't so long ago, unlike Colin, it was a long time ago for you. Um, but um, <laughs> I remember I went to boarding school, and I was very familiar with the old whop. You know I mean, dad was a good hiding in boarding school, they weren't short of hidings either. And to be honest, I got quite good at taking these hidings, and I didn't mind them. But I'll never forget, and I, I honestly, it, it still sits with me, the whole sit here. And I said, Matthew, please come to me. So I go there and I sit down. And it's not Matt, it's Matthew. And I sit down and they say to me, look, I want to talk to you about something. Today, you have really disappointed me. You have let me down. I relied on you. You're meant to be a role model for these people. You have really disappointed me today. Now, I can take a whack but I cannot take someone telling me they are disappointed in me because I've let them down, because I've betrayed them or I've dropped the ball in some way, shape or form. And I imagine this is how Peter was feeling. Because in Matthew's Gospel, it doesn't talk about it where we're going through John, but in Matthew's, in Matthew's Gospel, it talks about Peter then remembering what Jesus' words were, that he would deny him three times, and he went and he wept bitterly. Guilt. Disloyalty. These are all the things that would have been going through Peter's mind at this time. Fear too. After all, who was Peter? Peter was his disciple. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He witnessed miracles. Peter walked on water. Matthew 16, 16. Jesus says to Peter, who am I? He says, I, you are the son of the living God. Peter knew who Jesus was. And yet, he still denied him. 
So where does this leave Peter now? He's failed Jesus. Does this failure define him? Does this failure disqualify him from serving Jesus now? He's dropped the ball big time. And we see what happens. We'll look at John 21 shortly and see what happens. But before I do that, just a bit of context to this passage here. So what's happened now, before this dialogue goes on, is Jesus has been questioned, he's been crucified, and he's risen. Okay? So that's what's happened. He's appeared to the disciples once already in the upper room. And so that's all what's gone down before we get into this passage here. And we have the disciples out fishing on the lake, they're fishing out on the, on, the, um, out on the ocean, and we've got Jesus on the shoreline, and he calls them in. So that's sort of a bit of context as to where we're going with this passage before it's spoken. So John 21, 15 through to 17. Oh, man. Sorry. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? More than these, referring to the other disciples. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Interesting point to make here. Where did Jesus find the disciples? Or where did he find Peter when he reappeared to the man before the scene took place? He found them fishing for fish, right? What did Jesus call Peter to do? To be a fisher for men, to be a disciple. Who told him to go back and fish for fish? He did. He failed, and the very next thing, he stops doing what Jesus called him to do, and he goes fishing for fish. Something very interesting to note about failure and what it can do. So here we have Jesus confronting Peter. And as we know, he's confirming Peter's loyalty. He asks him three times whether he loves Jesus. The third time, Peter gets upset with him. And it seems at that point to really hit home with Peter, because what he does, he confesses, he says, yep, Lord, you know everything. So again, he's indicating that he knows who Jesus is. He says, Lord, you know everything. Which means he's saying, Lord, you're omniscient. You're all present. You know everything. So he's drawing another confession out of Peter, Peter through, those, through those three um, questions. Now, some scholars, when they talk about the three loves, and when Jesus is asking him, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Earlier scholars would used to say, well, that love, the original word, the Greek word for that love, there's, well, there's different meanings for love. It could mean different things. And you're saying he's addressing all those different meanings of love. Didn't really stack up. Scholars of today, just all scholars of today are saying is Jesus was asking him three times just as a point of mirroring the three denials and really letting it sink in with Peter. But something else that's real cool to notice here is, and it's a, and it's a, and it's a message for us too, is that Jesus asked Peter three times but at the end of every question, there's a charge. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Well, then go feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I do love you. Well, go feed my lambs. Every time, Peter's getting charged with a charge. If you love God, if you love Christ, well, then this is what you must go and do. And so, 
what he was asking him by saying, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, what he was saying, hey, Peter, you should demonstrate your love for me by taking my word out to my people. Go and tell people about me. There's a clear picture here of God reinstating him, saying, hey, look, this is not who you are. This is not what I called you to be. Let me reinstate you. Let me, let me just reassure you. How different is that to society today? In society today, you mess up and you cut off. See you later. God's saying, no, let me take you back in love and reinstate you and reassure you. Which culminates in verse 19, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Now in the beginning I mentioned, I wanted to talk about how beautiful God's heart is and his love for humanity. And we see that here in this. We clearly see God's heart through Jesus' actions. And so I mentioned transformation. So how was Peter then transformed? We've seen God's love. We see Peter being reinstated. So how was he then transformed? Peter had failed Jesus. No doubt about it. We all know that. But this was by no means the end for Peter. Despite Peter, despite Peter, God still had a plan for him and a will. And he would ensure that that would be completed. You don't have to look any further than me sitting right here as a 21st century real application to that, God's plan. Several years ago, we can be honest and we can be open here, I probably wasn't too different to Peter. If I look at my marriage, I had a God-given responsibility to my wife and to my kids. I was dropping the ball. I wasn't leading properly or effectively or as a Christian should. I wasn't loving my wife as I probably should. I wasn't leading. As a Christian, there were days where it would be very easy for me to miss church. There would be days where milking was just too difficult and I was just too tired. I'm not going to go to Bible study. It's too far to drive. I wasn't talking to Jesus at all. I started pursuing financial freedom. And so my focus was on building up my physical assets. That was my focus. How many assets can I build up? instead of building up my spiritual inheritance and my families, because I am responsible for my family. And now, like Peter, I knew what I was doing, and I knew that I was wrong, and that I was, I was called to be different. I knew that. But in my mind, I was like, man, you've just backslidden way too far. I was always taught to pray, but how do you pray in my mind, I'm like, well, how do I pray when I've been so unfaithful in what God has given me, in my responsibilities God has given me? Or just attending church, just fellowshipping, it wasn't a priority. Now, how do I go? Oh, for me personally, I don't know about everyone else, but for me personally, that was extremely challenging because the failures that I'd, that I'd experienced were putting me down. But again, like Peter, God's grace and his plans for me were much bigger than those failures of mine. And praise the Lord, I stand here today on the cusp of going to, going to ministry, going into ministry full-time next year, a three-year study, doing a bachelor's in theology, and committing the rest of my life to ministry. Thank God for his grace in my life. We talk it, but it could have gone so differently had I allowed that failure to get stuck in here and I had not looked up to God. You see, much like Peter, 
we can see God's heart and his plan and his story for my life. But the awesome thing is, is how does this revelation of Christ transform us? So this revelation that I had, we've seen how it transformed me, but this revelation that Peter's had, how has it transformed Peter? Because when I, when I, I believe when we truly see Christ and we understand a little bit of that love and that grace that he has, there's got to be some sort of a reaction. There's got to be some sort of a transformation, right? Do you agree? Yeah? Yes. It's got to be. And so what we do is in Acts, we read a bit about that transformation in Peter's life. Acts 4, verse 8 to 11. And this is just, this is just so beautiful. And I really pray that we really see this. Acts 4, verse 8 to 11. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, the rulers and the elders of the people, if we are called to give an account today for, sorry, if we are called to get to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead and is and this man stands before you healed. He, Jesus, is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Remember earlier in our story, Peter went from, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him, to, I love you, I love you, I love you. And not only that, Peter went from someone who was cowering, remember there around the fire? He went from someone who was cowering at man's judgment, afraid of what they were going to say, to a man who was now standing tall, who was brave, who was full of energy, who gave an accurate account of who Jesus was. Because the context here is what's happening here is Jesus has risen, and he's ascended, and now um, Peter and John are getting questioned by the Pharisees. They're saying, well, why are, you giving an, why are you giving an account of Jesus' resurrection? So those same Pharisees, well, not the same, particularly the same people, but the Pharisees were questioning him here, where they were questioning him earlier, and he was hiding, and he was denying it. Where did we find the disciples when Jesus died? Up in the upper room, behind a locked door. Jesus rose, Peter saw him clearly, and here he is giving an accurate account to those same Pharisees, not scared of the consequence but because of what he knows. You see, on top of that, <laughs> he went and he rebuked them. We see there in verse, um, verse 11, here's the stone the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. He's taken it up a notch. He's not now just sort of standing tall. He's rebuking them too. You see, Peter, seeing Jesus clearly, was able to overcome his failures because of God's love and grace. And through that he was transformed and therefore was able to become a strong voice for Christ despite his failures. His failures, contrary to what he thought, did not disqualify him from serving Jesus at all. And that's what's so dangerous about these failures, about how, well, how we perceive them. Because Satan uses them, he distracts us, we lose our view of where we stand before God. 
and we end up in this downward spiral, going down, 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 where I was. And essentially what happens, we stop fishing for fish, and we, we stop fishing for men, we go fishing for fish. We disqualify ourselves from fulfilling God's will. So what does that mean? Where does that leave us today? What is the application? Where, where do we go to from here? What does that mean for you and me? And like Peter, I say it like it is. If you're sitting here today, teenagers, young adults, are you failing or are we failing Christ in our relationships? Are our relationships with members of the opposite sex pure? Are we abstaining from sexual immorality? Are we honoring God in our relationships? Are we failing in what we're watching on TV on the internet? Is that pornography honoring to God? When we go out with our friends, we go out to a club or to a party or whatever, are we practicing self-control or are we out there getting drunk and failing God in how we, how we image Him? Adults, in our marriages, are we failing our spouses? Are we wholeheartedly loving our spouses? Are we practicing and demonstrating the same love God did when he sent his son to die on the cross for us? Are we failing, business owners, are we failing in how we run our businesses? And what I mean by that, do we give accurate tax and GST accounts? Do we treat our staff well? Do we fail in that aspect? Or, like me, are we just failing God in our daily dealings of life? Are we, are we failing in our prayer life? Are we failing in how much we attend church? Are we failing in how we fellowship with others? Are we failing in prioritizing God in our lives? Or are we sitting here and we're just stuck? We're just feeling we're weighed down by, this, by these failures and, sin and we're just stuck and we just feel there. There's another word for it, blah. Sally used the word I asked her how it was. She said sad. Are we just feeling sad because of that? And if we're being honest with each other, if we, if we look at this in the cold light of day, the answer is yes. We have to answer to yes to some of these things. We do fail. And unfortunately, the tragedy is not the failure, but that we allow that failure to define us. We allow that failure to tell us who we are, like the guy in prison. But what we've learned from Peter today is that we are by no means, by no means, disqualified from serving God. Absolutely not. And I think we only truly see Christ clearly when we embrace those failings, number one, and we strive to do better, acknowledging God in everything we go through and understanding that God's grace is bigger than those failings. And more importantly, hear me today, more importantly, unlike that jail, the guy in jail, our identity is in who? Who? I'm asking you guys. Who's our identity in? Exactly. Not those failings. I really pray that today Peter's story will encourage you and remind you 
that you are not your failings and that we serve a beautiful God. We honestly do. And I, I wish I could stand up here and dance and scream. I really do. Because of what God has done for me and how, how beautiful God's grace is for me. And if you don't know Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you don't know him, this is what awaits you. This love, this grace is what awaits you. It's not like society today where you stuff up and that's it, you're outcast. God loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you. And this is the God we serve. This is the God that awaits you if you, don't know, if you are not in a relationship with him. So if you're sitting here today and you're wondering about your eternal salvation or you wonder, you're, you're a Christian but you're wondering about where you stand with your failure, make yourself known. There's, there's elders here. There's, I'll pray with you. I'll talk to you. Just don't walk out of here today wondering, am I defined by my failure? How am I ever going to get over this? We pray together. We confess together. We serve an awesome God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that you so lavishly bestow on us. Lord, thank you that our identity is in you and nothing else. Lord, we pray that you help us this week to meditate and to wrestle with your word today and grant us the humility to allow it to transform us. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and what a privilege it is to say that. Amen.